This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. All right, welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standard, and I cover the Washington football team, which means I got two hours of sleep because the game went late and I got up early uh, to do things, which I will explain in a second. But you know what? <laughs> As the kids say, it's a, it's a victory. Well, I guess it's a victory Tuesday. And the Washington football team, they certainly are flying high this morning after a third straight win beating the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Uh, we're going to talk about all that. Uh, in addition, uh, we're going to talk about all that with, with, with my guy, Kevin Sheehan, in just a second. Uh, in addition, uh, my other guy, Tim Murray, is going to help uh, preview the week in Las Vegas. And Dan Grunfeld, uh, son of Ernie Grunfeld, has a new book out explaining their family's journey. Um uh, from from the Holocaust to the NBA, we're going to get to that in a little bit. But this is a primarily a Washington football team podcast, and that's what we need to discuss. So uh, I got up early this morning to go on his radio show. We did a little home and home here. Uh, Kevin Sheen is now here with me to to discuss this a little bit. Kevin, uh, always of course, Kevin is the the host, the, the the morning host on the Team 980. You already knew that, and he hosts the Kevin Sheen podcast. Kevin, you had me on the first question you said to me. What's my basic takeaway? So I'll just turn that to you. <laughs> what, what's your main takeaway after a third straight win? Well, first of all, I'm just going to tell you if, you, if you haven't talked to Dan Grunfeld before, he's a great guest. And Ernie Grunfeld's story and family story is a phenomenal story. He, uh, I had him on my podcast a while back. He sent me his book recently. And um, I think there's a lot about Ernie Grunfeld that people don't know. Um, and he's a great um great guests. So, uh, people should look forward to that on your podcast today. My biggest takeaway is that this would have been just a horrendous loss, um, because they dominated this football game. I mean, they were the better team in every which way possible. And I felt watching this game. And I think you said the same thing to me this morning. I think it's probably what everybody thought, you know, watching the game last night. It's 17 to nine, and it felt like it should have been 31 to seven. You know, um, it's similar to the way that I felt about the Chargers game in reverse in the opener. The Chargers won that game 20 to 16, but I felt like more times than not, that game would have been 35 to 10 Chargers because they were so much better and they dominated Washington in so many ways. And last night, Washington was just the superior team across the board and they just didn't have enough points to show for it. And then there was the fluky PAT block that got returned. And then they didn't have a kicker, you know, at the end, um, Seattle was terrible too. Russell Wilson was horrendous last night. I mean, I know that he had been struggling, you know, off of this, you know, finger injury and that he played poorly against green Bay and didn't play well last week against Arizona. And I thought Seattle came with some fight, given that there was some discussion about them essentially on the verge of imploding and the season being over. But I thought they came out and they hit a little bit. They took some deep shots. But um, Russell Wilson was terrible in the game. Washington was the superior team. And the fact that they almost got tied up at the end with 15 seconds to go was stunning. I didn't think there was any chance in the world 
that on that final drive, they'd go 96 yards. And after that sack, Ben, during that drive, when they knocked him down, when he had a chance to throw the ball away easily and didn't, then I thought it was absolutely over. And yet somehow they still scored a touchdown and Kendall Fuller kind of saved the day. And then, you know, the penalty on the recovered onside kick uh, was another, you know, day saver because they would have been one completion away from a chance at a long field goal to yeah, win it. I'm, I mean, Russell Wilson, I think like for his career, I think it was like 10 and two on Monday night football going into that game. And, you know, what's, he's one of those guys who makes the big plays late in the game. And, and that's one yep. of the things that's so interesting, of course, with what's going on on the Washington side of things. Um, Taylor Heineke, not so much he needed to do it in this game, uh, but, you know, he has not been afraid of the moment. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about so much about what isn't ta- what Taylor Heineke isn't, um, and, you know, probably not enough on what he's actually doing. And I do think, like, you know, it's been kind of obvious from the start of this that, you know, the the, the Giants game, yes, New York gave the, gave essentially gave Washington the game with that special teams penalty, but Taylor Heineke's plays down the stretch get, you know, gave them the opportunity to have the Dustin Hopkins uh, game-winning kick. The Atlanta game, obviously, we saw him make those plays, the touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick, and it's gone on and on. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think there's something to be said for this guy that everybody is, they're all feeding off each other right now. It's pretty obvious. It's pretty clear that there's a real bond going on with this group from the coaching staff down and Taylor Heineke's play is, is a huge part of that because when you have a quarterback that you know can make plays late, they tend to win. Uh, you, you, at least you believe you can. Seattle's had that for years with Russell Wilson. They're they're They've got other issues going on with, with their, with their team. Things look to be a bit stale under Pete Carroll and Russ isn't playing that great to say the least, but it was weird last night. You're right. I was, I, I thought Russell Wilson, I was nervous about him down the stretch. But the point for me is that this was not a Taylor Heineke game, but I just keep thinking his presence is real. Like he he he's unafraid of those moments. And this team keeps feeling like they're unafraid of the of, of those moments, even if they did, you know, give up the touchdown late, but Kendall Fuller makes um the big play. And, and Kevin, this gets me to my to my point. I think I've discussed this. Maybe with with you on your show, or maybe even here, I, I've, I've I've I lose track of where I say things. <laughs> but the you know there's this is not a, a Confucius phrase or anything. But I, I was thinking about this. I wrote this down. Fun having fun doesn't easily turn to being serious, but but being serious can lead to having fun. In other words, that it felt like they were, you know, Ron Rivera talked over and over again, maturity and discipline, maturity and discipline, maturity and discipline. We kind of understood what he meant by that or who he was talking about and whatever. But the last three games, it's clear he's not saying that anymore. It feels like they are playing with that level. But you could also see the joy that was coming from that, from these guys playing together on both sides of the ball. The defense in particular is not, you know, there were some – Big Seattle did get some big plays off last night, and then they did a 96-yard drive at the end. But in general, they're playing a lot more connected, and with it, there's a lot more spirit out there. And I just think that overall, these three, the connective tissue for me on these three wins is that they are playing with far more a level of, of seriousness and determination than we saw the first eight games. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you said uh, about this not necessarily being a Taylor Heineke game, I think it was. Um, I think it was another really high-level performance from him. I mean, it was an A-level 
performance. I mean, were there dramatics, you know, not necessarily, um, but I mean, he made some big third down throws. He made some big second down throws. This guy's com completed 69 of his last 89 passes over three weeks. Was it flawless or near flawless like it was last week? No, but it was a really good performance. And he continues to prove, by the way, the one thing that all of us in the conversation about Taylor Heineke, I think, have always agreed on, and that is... You know, he's this, you know, gamer, you know, the, as we call call him, he's fearless, but that he's a high level athlete and he's very, very good at escaping pressure and creating off schedule. It's his number one attribute as a quarterback. And he did it multiple times last night. And um, I thought he played an exceptional game on the other um, part that you discussed. You know, it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. I don't know what the true impact of no Chase Young, no Montez Sweat has meant towards their defensive performance, but it's meant something because for eight weeks, we were told about discipline, adhering to the scheme, maturity. They've got to do their job. They've got to play the scheme. And once they get to doing that, and then all of a sudden they're out and now everybody's playing to the scheme and everybody's doing their job. And by the way, Ron's saying it and the performance has been backed up. Now the last two opponents offensively haven't been great, but Tampa's great offensively and they did a really good job against Tampa and they're going to play a team on Sunday. That's certainly capable offensively. I mean, the Raiders can put up big numbers and big points, even, you know, in the state that they're in right now, which is a weird you know, turn of events for this franchise, you know, from the Gruden stuff to the rug stuff. But, you know, they come off one of their best days of the year of, you know, putting up 500 plus yards and 36 points against the Cowboys. So um, this will be a better test than the last two and it'll be on the road. Uh, but I don't know what to make of the whole Chase Young Montez sweat thing. Only that I said something the other day on the show. I said that Coaches genuine, generally prefer the guys that do what they tell them to do versus the superior talent guys that don't do what they're supposed to do. And it wouldn't surprise me if Ron and Jack are like, yeah, see what we can do when people just play the scheme. And, you know, that begs the question, by the way, if they were, you know, upset that Chase and or Montez weren't playing the scheme and it was impacting the defensive performances. Well, why didn't they do something about it? Yeah, it, it's, it's a great question. And, and, you know, to that end, right. Uh, both in terms of the chase young, like, okay, you're telling us maturity and discipline. We assume you're talking about chase young and maybe to some degree Montez sweat, but then it kept going, you know, right before chase right. young got hurt. Uh, he uh, he gave uh, you know his weekly press conference, and to me, it was one of the more frustrating ones he's ever given. Because at that point, you know they're 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 two and six. They're coming off the bye week, and he was uh, he, he one of my things with him is he doesn't seem to talk with any urgency or seriousness often. Which again, it's not making him a bad kid. He's obviously very talented. Um, uh, you know, he's twenty two years old. I you know he's got a lot going on in his life. 
I have no idea how I would handle it if I was in his spot or anything like that. And maturity and discipline, every time Rivera says that, I kind of think to myself, is he looking at me? <laughs> I feel like he's talking about me and my life. But that said, for a guy who is claiming to be a leader, for somebody who is somebody that people look up to, I, I imagine, you know, uh, I imagine that Montez Sweat sees a lot with Chase Young is going, what's going on with him, and they're pretty tight. And if there's some rub off there one way or the other, and it's very it's just odd that he doesn't seem to get it. Um, and yet now I, I've said this before, John Allen is now the guy they, they, the, the team is bringing out a lot more. He's also a team captain. He's obviously a, a, a tremendous defensive player. He's been arguably their best player on the entire team this year. Now he comes out and speaks to us and he speaks in very sober terms. You wouldn't have known anytime he talks after a game, you don't know if they yeah. won or they lost because right. of how he's acting. There's no smiling. He's being, hey, we 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 got we did what we had to do. He said last night when talking about the winning streak, he said, I forget the exact quote, but something like, you don't praise a fish for swimming, right? They expect to win. They did, whatever. I mean, we let's move on to, to, to the next thing. And I just keep thinking that the team is reflecting, you know, I would say teams take on the personality of the dominant figure, whatever that means. I think in football, it's often as a coach or the quarterback, but this team didn't have doesn't have a dominant quarterback, obviously. So either it's either Rivera or Chase Young is the prominent figure. And Rivera, obviously, when he's talking about maturity and discipline, if we think he's talking about that one guy, he also is identifying that this guy is a huge figure. So, again, I'm not this is not. Yeah, it's like you said, it's hard to know what's going on here. It's not to say that it's just about Chase Young. And as a reminder, before this winning streak, they all were saying we're getting closer. The Green Bay game. Yeah, uh, the Denver game. So they were all seeing something that was coming and Chase Young was, was playing in those games. And he, he was there in the first, you know, quarter and a half against Tampa when they were looking pretty good as well. So I'm not saying it's all about him not being out, but there is something going on here um, with regards to, to that. Yeah. By the way, I mean, the, the, these final six games, we, 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 you know, we've had the conversation about, and Ron said it many times about Heineke. Look, I don't, I don't need to make a decision now. He's got six more games, but these six more game, these six additional games. If the defense steps up and becomes the defense that we thought it could be before the season, it's going to be a major indictment on the missing player. Um, and I don't know how you handle that. He's 22 years old. There's clearly a lack of maturity. The fact that he didn't post for one OTA day, not one, just one player out of 90 didn't post for it, and a guy with the C on his chest didn't post for it. I know for a fact that coaches were pissed off that he didn't show up for it. I don't think players care much about that shit, but I think that that the coaches were upset about that. Now, we talk about the OTA stuff every year, you know, whether it was Trent missing him or whatever. Is it going to impact the performance? Probably not. And I don't necessarily think his performance was impacted by the fact that he wasn't at OTAs either. But I think his leadership took a hit. I think his maturity became more of an issue. and. You know, we'll see. I mean, look, the guy's way too talented to like bail on. I mean, he's coming back next year. And hopefully if this defense really steps up and plays exceptionally well without him, it'll be a, a you know, maybe it'll be an eye opener for him too. Um, maybe we've got it all wrong too. Maybe it's because they faced Cam Newton and they faced Russell Wilson, who's a shell of himself. And, you know, they're going to face Jalen Hurts, who really can't throw the football, or Daniel Jones, who can't throw the football, or Dak Prescott, who's not completely healthy, with no weapons, and they've been injured. You know, maybe it's going to be one of those deals. There's just a lot of nuance to this, clearly. But, um, 
three games in a row, the defense has played uh, exceptionally well, especially on the down that matters the most. 10 of 31, the teams are in their last three games on third down against this defense um, after being the worst third down defense in the league by miles through the first eight games. Yeah, yeah, for for, for sure. Um, the um, uh, d- Just to switch it back to sort of what, what's working here in, the, in this game, you know, one thing that's obviously working the last two games in particular is the ground game. Um, you know, they had a huge performance against Carolina, which is, you know, ranked you know, top five defense in the league at that point. Uh, they get a, a, a 150 or so yards on the ground. This game, Gibson with 111, they had a career high in carries. McKissick gets the two touchdowns uh, for Washington. And, you know, one thing I've always said about it, you know, we talk all the time, you got to have a quarterback, which is obviously true. But I always think that teams, we're in this era where everybody is just so desperate to pass the ball because look, the fit there is the efficiency show, you know, the advanced stats show there's reasons you want to do that um, versus running. But at the same time, there's always a, a shortage of quarterbacks, right? So it feels like you're trying to do the square peg round whole thing. You're forcing some quarterbacks to do more than they can. And it does feel like, wait, wouldn't you be better off not not to sound like your your 980 colleague Chris Russell, but wouldn't you be better off on some level relying more on the ground game and having the quarterback play off of that rather than the other way around? And I do think that's partly what is happening here the last couple of weeks. So you know, like you said, what I said before it wasn't a Heineke game. I just meant at the end he wasn't having to you know lead them down the stretch because they were they they were they had the had the team had the lead. But he's able to play off both in terms of play action passes, which he's very good at, but just also it's not on him to lead this team back when they're able to get a lead, control the clock, run the ball. This offensive line is the best unit on the team, despite the fact that there's injuries galore. Another center right. went down last night. They're on center number four. Uh, they put Sam Cosme on IR yesterday. And yet all this keeps working. So, it, you know, it, it feels like, you know, the identity, the combination of the defense is playing more with more intensity and the offense. When you when you have this ground game that's working, you know, this feels like old school football on, on a lot of levels. And it feels like this is really what's working. I think it's helping Heineke. And it's also I just think helping their overall vibe and attitude out there, uh, you know, really giving it to teams on both sides. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a tried and true formula, you know, in the NFL. Maybe not for winning Super Bowls or for winning 12 games a year over a five-year stretch. But if you can run the football and if you can stop the run like they did last night, you know, incredibly. I mean, they it, Seattle had no prayer of running the football in the game last night. And you don't commit, you know, mistakes, self-inflicted mistakes, um, and you let the other team do it. You're going to be in a lot of games and you're going to win a lot of those games. And they're doing that right now. I think that that, though, to a certain degree, would diminish a little bit their playmaking ability offensively, the quarterback's playmaking ability over the last three games offensively, some of the weapons they have offensively. Like, you know, the team in 2018, remember, that started seven, uh, six and uh, four. I always say six and four because they were going to lose that Houston game right. um, when Alex Smith got hurt. And everybody loves to say six and three, but they started at six and three and then they went to six and four and then it went downhill after he got hurt. But anyway, um, that was the perfect example of Adrian Peterson's running the ball. You can't even throw the football downfield, but 
you're winning, you know, time of possession, you're winning field position, you're winning the penalty battle, you're winning the turnover battle, you're stopping the run defensively. You're fortunate that you're not playing a lot of great teams during that stretch. Remember when they did play good teams like New Orleans and Atlanta on offense, they got crushed. Um, but you know, they had a bunch of games in there where they, you know, they got some breaks to go their way. Dallas missed a field goal that would have, you know, forced overtime, you know, that year. And, you know, last night, Taylor Heineke had a ball, which was stripped from the backside, could have been a fumble or very, at the very least should have been an incomplete pass. It flutters through the air sideways and goes right to McKissick. So, um, I think this team, though, has much more dynamic ability offensively yeah, for than that tried and true formula of run the football, manage the game, play good defense, don't turn it over. I think they have, you know, they've got some big play ability and they've got some playmakers. And that's even before, you know, the return of Samuel and Thomas. I think McKissick's been a playmaker, been talking about him. I know you have as well going back to last year. Gibson's a powerful runner. I'm surprised, to be honest with you, they get they got stopped on all the short yardage um, situations in the second half. You know, people are blaming it on the play calling. I thought the play calling most of the night was exceptional by Scott Turner. And, you know, on third and one, I don't know. I'm going to give it to Gibson a lot of the time, too. Um, they didn't get it. I mean, I don't know why they didn't get it on those situations. Um, but um, if they if they keep these games the way they've kept them and they don't make the killer mistakes – and they're able to stay balanced and run the football. Yeah, they're going to have they're going to be in every single one of these games down the stretch. You know, the more likely than not, they're going to be in those games. You know, yeah. um they're not they're not facing Rodgers, they're not facing Mahomes, they're not facing Brady and they beat Brady. Um you know, it, we'll we'll see. I mean, the NFL's crazy, Ben. We talk about it all the time. I mean, Less than a month ago, this team season was over, over. And here they are now, less than a month later, with a three-game win streak, and they are in the playoffs if the season ends ended today. Yeah. So uh, to, 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 to your to your point you, you said earlier, like it's like, you know, are they actually really good or did they catch a diminished Cam Newton and, and, and a Russell Wilson who's struggling and things like that? Of course, we acknowledge they beat Tampa Bay, but even that game, Tampa Bay clearly off the jump wasn't like the the the, the full-throated Buccaneers, which is not Washington's problem. Um, but this is the thing. It is hard to know. I have to do like power rankings for the athletic, and I was doing filling out this week. I struggled with the top 10. I I, I didn't even know like who to what right. teams were worthy of being in there. And then I you know. get to the middle tier, and you're like, well, I guess why I, I Washington is here. I, I it's hard. I don't know exactly where they are, but they're but they're in here. Um they're in here somewhere. Um, but a couple last things before before I let you go. So Ron Rivera today. Um, he he spoke with the sports junkies, said that Joey Sly's hamstring injury is going to keep him at a minimum of three weeks. So we're back to kicker carousel again. They're going to have to find somebody else. I'm going to predict it won't be a certain guy who was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, You know, I would presume they'll find somebody who's actually kicked in the NFL before. That would be my number one requirement, I think, or or at least if if not in the NFL, at least had kicked before. You know, sometime within the last five years somewhere so we'll see what we'll see how that goes um th- this week i mentioned the the offensive line injury sam cosme was placed on ir so they do have cornelius lucas which is a he's obviously been a pretty reasonable uh option but you know the, the depth is now taking a hit we'll see about west schweitzer where, 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 where he's at um 
and, and then, you know, the, the, the Raiders are on deck. The Raiders get a huge win on, on Thanksgiving um, at Dallas um, after losing three in a row. So it's like hard to know what, what to make um, of, of, of even them. Uh, look, it, this is really interesting. And, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I always try to remember, regardless of what I'm thinking, you know, a, a lot of times the writers will say, well, look, I'm you know, selfishly, I want them to do this out of the other, cause it's good for my narrative. When it comes to this team, I always say, I know how many people have been suffering with this team for the last 20 years. And, you know, anytime there's an opportunity to get some fun and joy and happy happiness out of this this is good and also like the the normal deal with this team this is what it's been every time in the last 20 years that they've had a good run it's because they started slow and then rebounded to, yeah. to finish strong and, they haven't had one great season start to finish not right. one since 1991 <laughs> right it's so it's so bizarre i mean at least here like you know it, it's starting maybe some of the other ones started around the same point but at least it's starting a little bit early relatively speaking so it, it, it may be by the if we get to the end if they can keep this going it'll feel like a real thing by the way the 2012 is an example of that um right when you and i started to record i don't know if you saw this or not um your friend rg3 tweeted out he's got a new book coming next year and the book is called surviving Washington. <laughs> and apparently based on what I'm seeing on Twitter, he's, he's got a video with it and he's saying he's going to talk about um, the, the, the his, how his medical treatment got mishandled, sexual harassment in the building, things like that. So, Oh my God. So, so, wow. so uh, I'm sure that will be a, a topic of conversation. Surviving Washington. Yeah. That is, that is such a great title for him. And for anybody, by the way, that has survived it. But my God, um, I, you know, one of truly the most insufferable players in Washington football team history. And it was such a turn of events on that because the start of it was so meteoric and so great and so fun. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I was preparing for the podcast yesterday. And I was going to use some audio, which I ended up not getting to. But going back through some of the, you know, the big Seattle games, you know, they played Seattle in the playoffs three times in the few playoff games they've had during the Snyder era. Three of them have been uh, against the Seahawks. And obviously one of the most infamous games in franchise history is the 2012 playoff game. And uh, I just think, you know, it's interesting how that day evolved. It'll be great to hear it from his perspective because the one thing we know is he told Trent Williams on the sideline, don't tell anybody that I'm hurt. Remember the audio picked that up yeah. in that 2012 playoff game. And, you know, Mike's told me many times on the air and off, you know, they were telling him during that game that it was an issue with his brace, not with the knee because they had Kirk cousins ready to go in the second half of that game and old Doc Andrews and Robert Griffin III came out of some closet in the locker room and said, no, 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 his knee's fine. It's the brace. We had to just uh, rework the brace. So it'll be interesting to see uh, that. But, you know, on all the other stuff, right now, living in the moment with a team that's surging at the end of the year for the second straight year, um, first of all, Rivera gets a shitload of credit for this because – he had a team, and in many cases, a team would have essentially bailed at two and six. It didn't last year at one and five. It didn't at two and seven. You know, I've always said about Rivera that I think they have a high quality person in the organization for the first time in a long time. 
And I think that's one of the reasons his teams have always kind of respected him and given the, you know, given him their best. And uh, even if they lost last night, which would have been a, a miracle, um, or oh, last week in Carolina or against Tampa, they've been playing well and they've been playing hard for several weeks now. I'd be surprised if the effort um, and the readiness dropped off significantly over these final six games. I don't know if it'll lead to more wins than losses, but I think it's very much um, uh, sort of a reflection of what the people in the building on the football side think of him. Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I, we didn't mention Rivera. We can, we can get out on this. Look, <clears throat> absolutely, you got to give Ron Rivera a lot of credit. I remember you know, going back to last year, they start one off one and five, two and seven. And, you know, what the hell's going on here? And there's a lot of things to question on all over the place. But what I always kept coming back to was whenever we brought the players in to talk to us, or it was, I guess it was over Zoom at that point, um, how often they repeated his, you know, his, his phrases back to us organically, how much they talked in ways that seemed to be genuine about that their, their belief in him, his belief in them. And that, I think, that led me to think that regardless of the wins and the losses, he's connecting with them. And we saw what happened over the course of the season. I hadn't automatically thought that part this year early on. Maybe that was on me. I don't think it was totally that, but like, I just didn't feel the same way. And in part because of the expectations were different and they just, you know, obviously that they struggled out of the gate, but here we go again. And, you know, like I said, the, in, I mean, the injuries are, are, are so prevalent that the, the, they're having to do so many, so many guys are having to step in and do different things and they're making, making plays, by the way, Shaka Tony last night, seems like he was making, he was all over the field, making right. all kinds of plays. He was on the field for five snaps, but he came in. So was that it? It was only five snaps, five snaps. He came in, had at wow. least two huge plays, um, some big hits. I think he sacked Russell Wilson one time, had another big hit. And my point is there's a guy, a seventh round pick who was a non-factor earlier in the year, who's had to come in, help out as others have with when the injuries have occurred and done a good job um, in, in contributing. And I think a lot of that has to go to Rivera, who also you know is in charge of, at least he's overseeing the personnel department. And, you know, for all the knocks that were early on, legitimately so about things that weren't working, you got to give him credit for here as well. And um, there's something, the guy, like you said, he's a, he seems like a, a good person. There is a rah-rah spirit to him that clearly seems to be kicking in. And he this isn't these aren't the only two years where his teams have been better in the second half of the year. He's clearly got something there. You wish he'd be better to start the year, but clearly something is kicking in. We'll see what happens uh the rest of this week. Uh what what I know for sure I'll be doing and what you guys need to be doing is listening to Kevin on every morning on the team 980. Go go listen to his podcast, uh the Kevin Sheehan show, uh, which is all which is somewhat tangentially connected to uh to the athletic so it's all in the family here so go listen to kevin um as, as well and uh man i i don't know where this is going i've give i give up at this point trying to figure out this team but they're on a they're on a roll there's no better place to be when you're on a roll in life than going to las vegas and we'll see if they can uh strike <laughs> yeah. it big strike yeah. strike it big right. there i mean exactly good good spot to be look the the league has virtually, I think I figured this out this morning, 27 of the 32 teams heading into December all have legitimate 
playoff chances. Um, I'm not talking about just mathematical. I'm talking about legitimately in the mix if they can, you know, run off a couple of games in a row. And that's all it's going to take, you know, is a, a two or three game win streak in, the, in a key moment. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Philadelphia or Carolina or, I mean, the Giants or the Saints or the Falcons, you know, all teams back there, they run off two or three in a row. And now, the, you know, then they'll be in the seventh spot. So it's all bunched up. It's, it's great. And the division games are, you know, now meaningful because of the Cowboys situation. So I had somebody say to me this morning on the on the air, uh, a caller, do you think they should just rest all their starters and gear up for the Dallas game against the Raiders? I'm like, no, 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 no. Every game counts. It's a it's an AFC game. It's not a conference game. So tiebreaker wise, it would it, it factor in less than the NFC games and the division games. But no, no, they're going to have to get to as many as they can get to. And Sunday's a winnable game again. It's winnable, you know, uh, going into it, just like last night was, last week was. I don't think anybody thought the Tampa game was winnable. All these games but, are now. That's what crazy. After the first eight games where every week I was like, oh, boy, here comes another murder, uh, another quarterback yeah. they're going to have to deal with. And these other teams look good or whatever. And now, yeah, they there, there won't be one game barring injury or whatever that I won't think they got a real good chance uh, to win at this point because this is the NFL I don't. I'm not a huge fan of parody, but it's working right now for the Washington football team, and they're doing a lot of it themselves. Uh, by the way, they're playing better. Kevin, man, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk. See ya. Any anytime, Ben. Thanks. All right. Um, as joining, uh, let me start that over. I can't speak. <laughs> uh, three, two. All right, joining me as promised. This may be the most important guest I have all season because it's not a mat, it's not about the the football acumen though he has that. It's not about um co- get, getting us some thoughts about guys in this college in the college draft or or some bowl games. He's he can do that too. No, it's because this is Vegas week and we need to know what the scene is like in Vegas. I certainly do. I need something to look forward to, uh, especially after uh, what's going to be a late Monday night game. So here to do that for us. He is a former uh, local uh, radio host in this town that you all know for sure from his time on 980 and 106.7 The Fan, who can be found now hosting the nightcap from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern time with uh, former Bucks quarterback Sean King uh, on v- on VSIN Live. He is the great Tim Murray. T- Tim, how, uh, how are you? I appreciate the time. I am great. I am. Uh, I am actually, as we speak, back on the East Coast. Came back for uh, a little Thanksgiving. Uh, was uh, was great to be on with uh, JP and B Mitch the other day, and uh, we were texting about that. So uh, I appreciate the uh, the invite to come on this pod, man. This is uh, this is throwback. Uh, for those who don't know, I feel like I gave. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I, I introduced you to radio, but uh, you used to come in studio. I used to uh, steal you for hours uh, and make you come in studio with me and Nick Ashew back in the day on uh, on DMV Game Time on ESPN 980. Uh, 100%. And look, I, I would always say to people, like, there's no, there's no, I don't know what the proper path is to get ahead of whatever it is you want to do, but sometimes you just have to do stuff regardless of what the immediate gratification is. In other words, 
I would go into the radio with you guys, but you weren't paying me. But I was like, well, yeah. I got to I got to get my name out there somehow and I got to get some reps. The, the irony now is, Tim, uh, the last couple weeks, 106.7 has had me and Britt Giroli co-host a radio show. I saw know, that at, at night a couple of times. We may be doing a couple other ones. So, yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know if it's come full circle, but, yeah, it's it's uh, it, 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 it's a wild ride. I mean, look at you. I mean, you're big time Washington football team beat reporter. I mean, I, I knew you uh, when you were busting your hump covering all the local basketball teams. And now you're breaking news left and right. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool to see where obviously uh, you are and uh, and uh, obviously thrilled that you'll be out in Vegas. And uh, we're going to have uh, sure we'll have a couple cold ones uh, in the, in the desert sometime next week. Well, yeah, and and that's that's the key. You're kicking you're kicking butt as well. You're you're out in Vegas. You're do, you're doing your thing. You always had a thing for the uh, for the dark arts of gambling, and 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 it kept your eyes on the lines. And now you get to do it uh, and get a paycheck out of it that somebody's paying you to do, to do these things. Um, l- l- let's discuss the scene though in Vegas because, like I said, uh, I, I I like I booked my tickets. Or I, started, I don't know. I think. Uh, Early September, right, right around when the season started. I was like, once I got the green light from the bosses, that you know we're gonna go. And the tickets, I mean, normally to go to Vegas, I'm not saying it's cheap, and maybe this is mm-hmm. partly because of the world we're living in with COVID and everything like that. But like, normally you can get reasonable hotels and airfare, whatever, or at least hotel. Everything's been expensive the whole time I was looking. I think in part, I would imagine because there's a lot of people going. I know there's also the Pac-12 uh, conference uh, title game on Friday. But it feels like it's going to be a crowded weekend. So there's a lot of people listening here, I'm sure, who are going to be going. So give us the lay of the land. I mean, I've been to Vegas more times than I can count. But for those that haven't, what, what do they need to know? Like uh, our friend Pete Haley with NBC Sports Washington, he's, he's, he's a rookie. He's going for the first time. Oh, God. What, 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 <laughs> what, what, what's the scene like in Vegas right now? What, do you, what, what, what are the things that people that are coming out for this game they need to know? Yeah, uh, man, God help us with Pete Haley in Las Vegas, man. That's going to be something, but, uh, that, that will be documented at another time. Um, yeah, it's, it's right now it's, it's wild, man. Things are back. Um, you know, I would say I haven't been to Allegiant stadium yet, so I'm not a, a pro in that regard. Uh, but there is a walkway over to the stadium from a lot of the MGM properties. Uh, so it seems like that's a pretty, uh, normal route to go. Uh, you know, T-Mobile Arena has got some kind of cool outdoor area. I was just there the other night uh, for Arizona and Michigan uh, playing some college hoops. So uh, that certainly uh, is a cool scene to check out. And then, look, I mean, I- I'm partial, but I go down to downtown Vegas uh, all the time. That's where I work. Uh, that's where the Circa is. And, uh, you know, I-, I would say if you want to you know, Saturday is going to be a huge college football day. If you're coming into town, into Las Vegas, I would, in my opinion, if you are a big sports fan, there are two places that I would go. I would either go to Circa, which is in downtown Las Vegas. It's the world's largest sports book. That's where my studio is. Or go to the Westgate Superbook. Those are the two best places. You know, for those coming out to town, think about this, you know, uh, Pacific time, noon, you're going to catch the end of the Big Ten championship, or sorry, the Big 12 championship. Then uh, you've got the AAC championship with Cincinnati taking on Houston, the SEC championship with Alabama taking on Georgia. Uh, and then you've also got a couple other ones. So it's a huge college football day. So, yeah, I would recommend 
seeing if you can, I, I don't know, booth prices and all that. And then if you want to go all out, Stadium Swim is second to none. That is also at the Circa. Um, you know, cabanas, day beds, all those different types of things, heated pools. Uh, it is, it's like a, uh, it's like a, a candy store for, uh, for, uh, you know, sports fans. So if you're coming out and you're wanting this to be a, you know, sports heavy weekend, uh, that's the way I would go on Saturday, uh, would be those three, three spots, two locations. Uh, and you just got to check out Circa and you've been down to downtown Las Vegas, Fremont street. It's, it's a little bit different, more unique. Um, obviously, the you know the fun stuff like the Bellagio fountains are are certainly worth checking out. Uh, that that's always a cool thing to do. But uh, if you are wanting to really take in sports the proper way on Saturday while you wait for Washington uh, on Sunday, those would be the spots I would check out. You know, there's. It's funny that, that that we're now in this era where like they have shows like yours that are dedicated. To, to gambling or like Scott Van Pelt's on there talking about bad beats openly. And we can you know, have these conversations because it's a very different world historically being at a regular bar or wherever. And people are watching the game, obviously they're rooting for their teams, but when you're in Vegas and the game is going on and it might be a blowout, this is always happens with like college basketball, like in the tournament. And you know, the, some team is, you know, the, the, the 16 seed is losing by, 28 points, but the spread is 26 and a half. And some dude, <laughs> so, some jabroni hits a shot at the buzzer to cover and the place goes nuts. Like they just won the title. Like that is, that is living. That That is a different type of uh type of deal. So like, you know, especially if you're going to the game on Sunday, I mean, yeah, I guess you could wake up and go to the, go watch the East coast Early one games. games, but, but the Saturday slate and there is, you know, it's not obviously nearly as many college games as normal. Cause we're you know basically the regular season more or less over. Um, and you just have the conference uh, title games or things like that. Um, but there's still plenty of games. It, it's it's a high recommendation. If you've never done it before, go go to a sports book or some whatever you know, the ones Tim recommended are, 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 are all good. Uh, it's definitely a vibe. But beyond that, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Or I mean, like, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to gamble, I don't have to point you in any direction. There, it's literally everywhere. You don't want to gamble. You can do that, too. There's tons of things you can do. You, you can do whatever you want. I would say you can do whatever you want in Vegas. And and that is uh, that 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 is true. Just you know, do it in mod- some some moderation, not complete, but just some. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you want to make sure you get to the game if you're going to the game, and not 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 um not overindulge. Um, I, I know you you're not exactly uh, focused on the Raiders. I won't ask you about their team. Obviously, though, they are coming off a big win, and it's been a bit of a crazy year to say for them to say the least from an organizational standpoint but what's it been like what what's it what are the what's it like in the city because it's weird having an nfl team like you know i mean I, I, they have an nhl team an nfl team a wnba team i've always wondered how that's going to work though because the city itself is you know it's a lot of transients who come there who who, who even live there and then obviously people flowing in and out all the time so you always kind of wonder like what is a home crowd like i know you said you haven't been to a game yet but just in general what's your sense of like how vegas is been accepting of the Raiders and how does it feel? Does it feel like integrated the way this football team here historically has in this, in this town? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky question to answer because I think the Knights immediately were embraced because it was the first professional sports team. Obviously they had the success that they did right off the jump, you know, playing in the Stanley cup final and losing uh, to our caps, which was nice. Um, but I think, and I don't. I, this isn't a hundred percent proven. But my assessment of that was, 
first off, they were just starved for any pro team. Secondly, I think most people in town didn't have a hockey team. So it made a lot of sense for them to embrace the Knights, which they have, man. Right. I mean, the Knights are loved in that, in that city. Uh, the Raiders, look, they've got, they've certainly got their followers. Uh, but I think a lot of other people have their own team. Um, and I'll say this, you know, when the bears were here, it was a massive weekend. I mean, you know, we had, there were radio shows in town, you know, doing them, you know, remotely, uh, you know, flocks and flocks of people, Kansas city, similarly, uh, a couple weeks ago. So I wouldn't say it's a situation like in Los Angeles where essentially they have no fans and it's, you know, who would visiting fan base is going to fill SoFi right. Stadium, who's playing the Chargers, but they certainly are uh, a fair amount of of opposing fans that want to come out to Vegas. Because think about it this way: I mean, your your listeners know this. Uh, Washington and, and Las Vegas will not play in Vegas for another eight years. So this is an opportunity, like Chicago, Washington. Uh, I'm trying to think of another Philadelphia. They all came out here, uh, and it was it's their only shot for for almost a decade. So. I'd be very curious to see how many Washington fans are are going to flock out to Vegas because once that schedule came out, Ben, uh, I'm sure people circled that and said, that's the game we got to go to. And timing, I think, is perfect, too, because, look, today, you know, here in the D.C. area, it's Sunday. It was beautiful. It was like in the you know low 50s. But, you know, it's going to be 70s all week in Las Vegas. So I think people might want to flock out to Las Vegas, get a little warmth uh, and uh, and get a fun weekend out of it. So. Uh, I think the city is embracing the Raiders, uh, but I wouldn't say to the level of the Knights just yet. Right, right, right. No, that's a good point. Most people, if you care, you probably have an NFL team, but like, right. not everybody either comes from an NHL city or you know didn't give a crap. Um, so, yeah, so that's a good point. And like you said, when you go to the Stanley Cup your first year and you're the first team in town, that's going to make a, uh, a big deal. Well, look, I'm excited to see the stadium. I um I did a West Coast trip myself just to get away from the world for a bit uh, back at the end of June. And I was in L.A., ended up going to Vegas for I, I always wanted to drive the, from the desert from L.A. to Vegas. So I was in Vegas for about 36 hours. Wasn't quite sure. This was like my first like pre my first pandemic. I get out of the house thing. And, you know, things seemed fairly normal. And I'm sure it's only gotten more so since and because it was the summer it was not as crowded as it, as it will be during a, a football weekend so should be a lot of fun on that front and i'm excited to see you to see it and to see all that all the vegasy stuff uh and 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 like you know i excited look i'm not gonna lie works paying me to go to vegas come on like you know <laughs> not too bad not too bad no, right? i'm not i'm not gonna complain about that um so there's a bunch of games obviously we discussed college football over the weekend and from the you know, obviously people have their own teams, but from the football team perspective, obviously there's always the, the draft. We've talked a bunch about quarterbacks. Now, there, this is not – the quarterbacks are not necessarily going to be playing on this weekend. Matt Corral's not playing. No Malik Willis, I don't think. Um, there is that uh, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and obviously Cincinnati is very much in the – I well, I, I won't assume that they're going to make the, the final four of the playoffs because – that team, that, that situation typically gets screwed, but I don't know how they don't get in at this point being um, undefeated. But but obviously Desmond Ritter, maybe he's not the top of the list of the quarterbacks. But what's your sense of 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 him? And and if you're going to watch this game and maybe put down a little little money on it in on that game against Houston, what what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're looking at. Uh, let me pull up the point spread. I think it was uh, six or so. Let me double check that. Um, but yeah, I mean. 
he's certainly a guy and he just accepted uh, uh, an invite to the senior bowl. Um, so that's a guy to, uh, to keep an eye on, you know, I, I've had my ups and downs on him and I was off on the point spread. The Cincinnati is a 10 point favorite in that one. So uh, obviously a little bit higher. Um, you know, I, I feel like Desmond Ritter under normal circumstances would be a, you know, a second or third round pick. Um, but you know, he's going to get all the cliches, right. The, the, he's a gamer and, um, you know, the, the game that I've obviously watched the most of his was against Notre Dame, uh, on the road. And, you know, that was before Notre Dame was fully clicking, but still, uh, on the road, uh, and they were up 17, 13 and he put the game away with a, with a big clutch drive. So, um, you know, I think, you're not going to get blown away by, you know, arm strength and all of that with, uh, with Desmond Ritter. Um, but, you know, certainly a fun guy to watch. I'll, I'll give you a name that I think might be a little bit later, uh, probably, you know, second, maybe third day uh, is Bailey Zappi. He's going to be playing on Friday night. He's Western Kentucky's quarterback, and he's been putting up unbelievable numbers, Ben. Uh, he's, you know, it's a system quarterback. He went to, uh, it's a really fascinating story. So he was at Abilene Christian, uh, an FCS program, and they were lighting it up. Uh, and this was the fall season last year. So they only played four games, but they played all, I think, three games against FBS teams, including one against Texas Tech, I want to say. And Western Kentucky was like bottom five in offense. And their coach went out and got the offensive coordinator, Bailey Zappi, the quarterback, and I think two of their receivers. And they are now in the CUSA championship game. That's going to be on Friday night. So if you're looking for a quarterback to keep an eye on, uh, that would be a fun one to just check out on Friday night, seven o'clock CUSA championship. I think maybe third day, probably. Uh, I believe Bailey Zappi is going to the senior bowl. So uh, I think he could be a riser, uh, especially in a re relatively weak class. But I mean, you look at his numbers and his numbers are off the charts. Uh, Liberty is not playing this weekend, as you alluded to. They've really fallen off. Uh, but Malik Willis has, you know, a lot of things that are going to excite people. He's fast. He's athletic. He's got a big arm. Uh, another name to watch who is playing this weekend, and I think the stock will just continue to rise, is Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Uh, primetime opportunity against a really bad defense in Wake Forest. Uh, so he's going to have an opportunity uh, to put up some big-time numbers. So uh, I know I, I think I've seen some buzz uh, from Washington fans about wanting Kenny Pickett. Um, you know, he has a chance, I think, in a pretty wide open class to be the first quarterback selected, Ben, uh, because you think of the names, right? Bryce Young, he's he's not draft eligible uh, out of Alabama. Uh, C.J. Stroud, not draft eligible. Caleb Williams, obviously not draft eligible. So a lot of these notable quarterbacks or big name programs are not eligible to be drafted. And I think Kenny Pickett continues to rise in this opportunity in this window. Think about who he's going up against, you know, it's the ACC championship. So it's in that prime time, eight o'clock Eastern window on Saturday. By the way, and, the classic Pittsburgh wake for the ACC yeah. championship. I, I saw that earlier. I just, I went over my head that that's like an actual championship yeah. game, but sorry, go ahead. No, no. And so, I mean, he's got an opportunity and there could be, there should be a lot of points in that game. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's gonna be a lot of eyeballs because the SEC championship is during the day. Uh, they'll be going up against the Big Ten championship, but some of the buzz got sucked away with Ohio State losing. Uh, not to say that they didn't deserve to lose or anything like that, but I think people aren't super intrigued by Iowa and Michigan. Uh, so I think there will be some eyeballs on uh, on Pittsburgh and Wake Forest just because 
of the likelihood of a lot of points being scored. So I think Kenny Pickett really has a great opportunity this weekend uh, to to really uh, showcase himself to potentially be uh, one of those names to know. So, yeah, uh, those are a couple guys. Dustin Crum from Kent State, uh, if you really want to get after it. Uh, he's got the <laughs> noon game against NIU. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, so he that's another fun offense to keep an eye on Kent State. Uh, against NIU so uh, are, there'll be a couple quarterbacks out there you are going deep this is why this is like <laughs> when, when, when you're when you're watching all the games and trying to find all the angles you got to know that you, you can't just like Tim's not just willy-nilly throwing a dart like way most of us are <laughs> at, at a bet he's like no he's, you got to know who the people are especially the uh the quarterbacks uh we had a pretty it was a pretty chaotic weekend in college football uh th- th- this week Ohio State loses yeah uh, Alabama nearly did um, the, the, the playoff situation is scuttled. It could be even further scuttled or crazy if say Alabama were to beat Georgia, which is the big game. I, I don't know where you're at with your playoff picture and we don't have to get into it, but if you want to, if you got, if you got thought, I got a, got a big take or whatever, go for that. But like, are you rooting for chaos or are you rooting for the end of Alabama in the final four? You know, I'm not rooting for chaos, uh, just because, I- I just don't want to hear the constant complaining um, about, you know, two loss Alabama getting in. Uh, I think it's pretty clear who's getting in if chalk holds. And by chalk, I mean the favorites win. If Michigan beats Iowa, they're in. If Georgia beats Alabama, actually, no matter what Georgia does, they're in. Uh, They're undefeated. They're the best team in the country. They're not going to get dinged and be out of the playoff with one loss. So Georgia's in no matter what. But if you want a little bit of a different look uh, to the playoff this year. Uh, these are the teams to cheer for Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma state, and Cincinnati. If those four teams win on Saturday, they're all in. Uh, now what order I think, in my opinion, I think Oklahoma state probably jumps Cincinnati. So we probably get Oklahoma state, Michigan, and then uh, Cincinnati against uh, Georgia. Uh, now if Alabama beats Georgia, you're looking at both those teams getting in, Ben, and then chaos will can uh, you know follow uh, with likely Cincinnati maybe being the odd man out. So if you've been pulling hard for that group of five team to get in, uh, I've said this for the past like five weeks uh, that Cincinnati needed basically four things to happen, and three of them have go undefeated. Obviously, that was the first and foremost. They needed the Pac-12 to eat itself, which it did. They need Georgia to beat Alabama, which they are now a six and a half point favorite to do so. And then they need a Notre Dame, their best win, to go eleven and one. And boom, Notre Dame is uh, sitting there at eleven and one. Uh, they're they're trying to get themselves into the playoff as well. So I think Cincinnati has 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 positioned itself well. Houston's also eleven and one. So I think if if chalk prevails, like I said, I think you're going to get uh, three new teams in this playoff that we have not seen before. So it will be a very different look this year. I tell you what, though, man, Georgia so far, they are something else defensively. But Michigan, you know, uh, Michigan, I was very, very impressed. I mean, their performance, it was like exercising a a decade's worth of demons on Saturday, uh, winning that game against Ohio State. Uh, And, you know, if you are going to make this trip to to Vegas, Friday night is the Pac-12 Championship, yeah. which means you get to see Oregon and the the projected. I think a lot of people's uh, mock drafts number one uh, overall draft pick and with Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, I mean, that's not a that's not a thing for this team. You wouldn't think, but <laughs> something to uh, 
something to keep an eye on regardless, because obviously uh, if you're going to be the potential number one pick, you've got to be a, a legit um, player. Uh, la- lastly, so we're talking Sunday night. The football team will be playing on Monday. I'm not going to, we're not jinxing anything. I don't know what's going to happen. But as it stands now, but everything is falling their way from the west, the way the rest of the conference is falling. If they beat Seattle, they would actually be the seventh seed, which is insane because after week eight, they were two and eight, had a four game slide. Uh, I, I, I certainly was writing the season off. In bigger picture, I probably still am because I got other things to worry about, uh, starting with the ownership on down. But that said, they were in this mix. I'm not going to ask. We, we will get into what what they may or may not do because I don't even know. If we don't at this moment. Who knows if they'll, if they'll even win? But uh, I am just curious as a guy who thinks about these things. The, the the odds fluctuate and they will change a little bit, obviously based on whatever happened today. But the NFL is pretty wide open. I mean, I don't know who you would say. Or the obvious favorites. It's easy to say Green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers. They they won today again against the Rams, or or Tampa Bay because of Tom Brady. Or maybe you're thinking, hey, the Chiefs are figuring something out with their defense with Patrick Mahomes. That's enough. But like from a from a gambling perspective of, for you, about whatever whatever you want to say, based on who's hot, based on odds, whatever it may be, who's an NFL team that if somebody's going out to Vegas and they're saying, you know what, Tim, I got some money, I'm putting it on somebody. <laughs> To win it all, is there anybody for you that kind of stands out? Yeah, I mean, God, we've talked about this on my show for for a while because it does feel that way, and I'm not trying to make that a cop-out. I mean, you know, look at New England right now. They just hammered the Titans today. Uh, They're as hot as anybody, and their odds continue to shrink. Uh, They're 10-1 to to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Their odds are even shorter, obviously, to win the AFC. You know, you're looking in the range of like 5-1 to or so. I think that's a team to keep an eye on because they're just playing so well uh, and the opportunity to potentially win that division. Um, you know, you want a longer shot. I mean, San Francisco's getting healthier. Big win today uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. And now they sit, what, six and six, I want to say, is their record right now uh, with an opportunity. I mean, that was that was a team, Ben, that a ton of people were high on preseason. And then all the injuries happened. And they kind of wrote them off. Now, I'm not the biggest believer in Jimmy Garoppolo, but they got a lot of talented pieces. Uh, and if they're healthy, uh, this is a team that people were, once again, penciling in to maybe win the NFC this year. And because of that slow start, you know, I'm looking at the odds right now, um, you know, at uh, at DraftKings, 18 to 1 to win the NFC. Uh, you're telling me that uh, there's, you know, they, they don't have a, a that good of a shot. I mean... Dallas, what we saw on Thanksgiving, they're struggling a little bit. The Rams look all over the place. They lose again today uh, to the Packers. So I think San Francisco is a team to keep an eye on there. As if you like that longer shot look, because they've been there before. Uh, they've been, you know, they were uh, a better Jimmy Garoppolo throw away from winning the Super Bowl, you know, just a couple of years ago. So I would say if you're looking for that longer shot, San Francisco's intriguing. Uh, I mean, obviously Philadelphia's playing better. I know Washington fans don't want to hear that, but. Uh, they've certainly been playing better too, but I would say longer shot. I would probably look at San Francisco because I agree. Uh, it does feel wide open. Uh, Green Bay is playing uh, really well right now. Um, and Tampa Bay is getting healthier, but it's a pretty short odds and what feels like a pretty unpredictable year. So I would say if I had to make one, uh, one long shot bet here, if you're going out there with 20 bucks in your pocket, uh, San Francisco would be intriguing to me. All right. I like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it is wide open and uh, pfft, uh, sure. Why, why, why not yeah, them? Why I mean, not? It, it, 
it's 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 a bizarre year, to say the least, as evidenced by the fact that what whether Washington beat Seattle or not, that they're even in this mix because everything is everybody's falling apart or who knows whatever else they then they beat Tampa Bay and Carolina. The world makes no sense anymore. But what does make sense is to check out Tim on uh, Tim with Sean King on the nightcap on V Sin Live, uh, 10 p.m., 1 a.m. East Coast time. And of course, what also makes sense is me being in Vegas uh, once again. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Can't wait to see you, Tim. I really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck out there. I didn't even ask you what it's like to live in Vegas because I still don't understand how anybody uh, under the age of 70 does that and stays sane. But in any event, we'll we'll do we'll I'll ask you that in real in the in person, um, dude. I oh, also Tim's on Twitter at one the number one Tim Murray. I forgot to mention that earlier. Go follow him there for sure. Tim, I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, and uh, any uh, Washington fan, please stop by the uh, the booth. You can't miss it there at Circus Sports. Would love to say uh, say hello to any uh, Washington sp- uh, football fan or nine eighty fan or whatever. Uh, would love to say hello if you guys are in town this weekend. Awesome, man. We'll see you soon. All right, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, it, it is. Uh, it, it's not often I have authors on the book, especially ones that can sink a, a, an eighteen foot jumper cleanly. But we've got one of those today. He's got a brand new book out by the grace of the game, the Holocaust, a basketball legacy, and an unpre- unprecedented American dream. He is Dan Grunfeld. Dan, I appreciate it. It's been a minute since I've seen you. I mean, obviously, the world has been different since I saw you last. I'd occasionally see you out at the Capital One Arena when you were there uh, visiting your father. I recall Summer League as well, but it's been a minute. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we used to run into each other much more often than we do uh, in this day and age, but it's definitely good to see you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, for sure. And I appreciate I appreciate the time. And, and uh, you know, I, obviously... You know, your father, of course, Ernie Grunfeld, long time. Uh, it's easier to say, I think Tech is a president, but it's easier to say general manager. I think people understand what that means yeah. for, for the Washington uh, for the Washington Wizards. And um, so from that, you're, because I was a team I covered the most for many years, your father was a very important figure in my life. And obviously I was aware of him in, in many ways before that. Uh, I'm not really, I don't remember the Ernie and Bernie show when he and Bernard King were at Tennessee, but I was certainly cognizant of that. Of that time, and I remember some of his playing time uh, in the NBA, including his years with with the Knicks. And then he becomes his general manager. First, you know, there's the Knicks, the Bucks, and then to Washington. So uh, I've always been, you know, it's, it's one of those things. He's a very important figure in my life, and also I am Jewish as well. And it's not like there's, you know, there's the jokes exist for a reason about, about the lack of <laughs> yeah. about the you know, lack of Jewish athletes, and it wasn't always. There's not always a ton, and he was somebody that that obviously made it to the highest level of basketball. So uh, it's interesting to to catch up with you. But uh, you're not the focus of this book is not definitively uh, basketball, but it is about how basketball helped kind of sh- uh, shape your life to a degree, but also like your whole family because, as you pointed out in this book, y- your father was the only person, only player to ever be whose parents came out of the Holocaust. And, you know, that's, that's, that's even, that that's even a crazier uh, world. And I appreciate the fact that you learned about, you kind of learned your father uh, and his history and your family's journey from basketball, but through all this, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but what, what for you kind of decided you wanted to, 
to tell this side of the story as opposed to just saying my father played in the NBA, but the whole uh, the, the whole trajectory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up really fear feeling how profound the story was and how much basketball had done for my family. And my grandmother has a very big Holocaust survival story. She was saved twice in Budapest by Swedish diplomat Raul Wallenberg, who's regarded as one of the greatest heroes of the Holocaust. That's you know my dad's mom. Uh, you'll be happy to know she's 96 years old, lives in the Bay Area, 25 minutes away from me and my wife, is doing amazing, still cooks us big meals and plays bridge five times a week. <laughs> and I tell people about my grandma, you want to eat her food, you do not want to play cards against her. She's an amazing cook, but she does not mess around at the card table. But you know, we've always been incredibly close and knowing what she went through and what my grandfather went through just to survive, you know, the war. And then, you know, my dad, you know, people know my dad in, in sports and in basketball, but few people know his background. I mean, he was born under communism in Romania. You know, he came to the United States at nine years old, having never touched a basketball and not speaking a word of English. You know, and when he got to America, his older brother was diagnosed with leukemia and passed away within a year. So he had a very rough upbringing, a lot of tragedy and trauma, but, you know, he was in New York City. So he went to the park like all the other kids and he started playing basketball. And, you know, the, the game has done so much for my family. And I always kind of felt, you know, that impact. And so it was a story I really wanted to tell. Um, one thing, one line I pulled out that, that you uh, the, from from the book by the grace of the game, you, you wrote, Dad loved basketball as if it pulled him out of a fire. It took most of my life to realize it had. And I think that's one of the things that's so interesting. Like, you know, we all go through this trying to figure out what the hell is life and what, you know, we all view it from our perspective. And it's almost like the world doesn't exist until, you know, anything that happened before I was aware of it. I mean, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. It didn't happen. Obviously, that's, of course, not the case. And then we're all trying to simultaneously try to figure out our parents, right? They're the most important people in our worlds. And who are they? And you happen to have, um, a famous father, and it would be uh, easy just to maybe at some point go like, oh, plays basketball, and that's what it is. But to then to, to to learn life through that perspective of like, how did he over what 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 was his journey there? But also, as you point out, you're going through all this as a kid in America, a kid who has access because your father is a is a is a noted mm-hmm. person, and you, you're coming from um, you know not not not, not a tough spot. Every, I think people forget often that just simply being here for most people is 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 winning the lottery and that's right to then have to understand who my father is and who my family is and having it's i mean as as a as a you know as a jewish kid i, I you know you grew up hearing all about the holocaust stories uh from my own family but also from countless uh you're inundated with, with all the stories mm-hmm. but it's all at a distance i don't know for the most part these people you actually know these people and have to try to sort through weight my existence is this. You're telling me that this thing existed. How is that even conceivable when I know these people? And I think that's just such an interesting, I mean, it's, it is, it is your life, but it's just an interesting journey uh, that, that you were, that you're on, you know, because of that perspective. No doubt about it. And I tell people, you know, the Holocaust, it's almost like an abstraction, right? Because we know the number, 6 million Jews and millions more people. It's something that you can hardly get your mind around, but I tell people the truth that, it wasn't that long ago and it wasn't that far away. And that's the reality of it. You know, my grandmother, who again is one of the most important people in my life, I talk to her on the phone every single day. Uh, she lost seven immediate family members. They were killed, both of her parents and five siblings. 
you know, and so, and my grandfather lost everyone, all pa parents, siblings, everyone. And so, and these are, these are my dad's grandparents. So my dad never had grandparents, you know, they were all killed in Auschwitz. And that is something that stays with the family forever. And as you mentioned, and I talk about this a lot in my book, I talk about privilege, you know, because I'm privileged in a lot of different ways. Like you said, I grew up, my dad was an NBA player, and then he was a general manager. I had resources, I had access to things. I also had a generation of separation from all this tragedy and trauma, you know, which enabled me to have kind of a, a different and better life. My dad didn't have that luxury. I mean, when he came to the United States, you know, again, he didn't speak English. Kids made fun of him. He was, you know, he, he, my grandparents wanted him to go to a yeshiva in the Bronx. They denied him uh, because he couldn't speak English, you know, which was ironic because when he retired as a player from the Knicks, his first job was to announce Knicks games on the radio, you know, so in the city where he came as an immigrant, where he was rejected from a yeshiva in the Bronx, he was now kind of a, a legend who was broadcasting their games. And so for, for all those reasons, I wanted to tell the story. I mean, it's our story, but I think it's universal. You know, we under, we, as human beings, we understand what it means to overcome adversity, to go through challenges, to, to rely on your loved ones for support. Uh, yeah, so all those, for all those reasons, you know, this is a story I really, it was important for me to tell. Yeah, and like I said, I, 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 I've been reading it. It's a really good read. I was saying to Dan before we started, it kind of annoyed me that he was that he did such a good job as a as a as a writer, as somebody who tries to do this every day. And it was a really good read. I've always thought I don't think I could pull off a book. Uh, I don't know if I, what I would have to say. You have a lot to say here, and it's a really good uh, read. So I definitely recommend uh, people people checking out. Like you said, it's a journey uh, for for your family. For your father, and I know obviously here people. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this, a lot of people you know pay, pay attention to to the Wizards, and therefore know Ernie Grunfeld from that perspective. Even if you take out the the family part of this, like it still feels like for a lot of people, like I said before, if you're just sort of uh, everything that happened before you, you you started paying attention didn't count. So people forget that your dad was this excellent basketball player starting in college, most notably with with Bernard King, the Ernie and Bernie show at Tennessee. It was a really good thirty for thirty on this. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, your, uh, my favorite part was seeing your dad being like sort of the playboy. Uh, the, <laughs> he, he was, he was a big man on campus. Yeah. Oh, ab ab no doubt. Absolutely. Um, to, to, to that end, like, I mean, the, the, is it like, uh, I guess like as a basketball player, like what, what was his, for people who didn't, who didn't see him because they only know him as the general manager, like what was his, uh, what was his game? What was the yeah. thing that made him so uh, so good on the court? It's interesting. And I write about this in great detail in the book. You know, when my dad came to America, like I said, he went to the playground just to play hoops. And my grandparents didn't really know what he was up to. They knew he liked basketball. They knew he played. But they didn't see him play until he was a junior in high school. And, you know, for me, having grown up, you know, in the suburbs of New York City, you know, my mom drove me to every practice starting in second grade. My dad was very supportive, but you know, for my dad, he was just playing on the streets of New York City. And uh, you know, my grandparents got a call at their fabric store in the Bronx one day, and it was my dad's high school coach. And and he said, "You have to see this kid play basketball." And so, you know, they would never close their store because my dad's games were at four p.m. So one day they closed their store and they went and they got to the gym a little late, and uh, the usher at the door said, "Hey." You, you can't, you know, the gym's full. We can't let you in. And my grandparents didn't really speak English. And they tried to say, we're a guest of the coach. We're parents of a player. And eventually my grandma kind of summoned up all her strength in English and said, Ernie Grunfeld is our son's name. And so the, the, the usher said, well, why didn't you say so? You know, he threw the doors open. They went in the gym. And 
my grandma tells, still tells the story. My grandfather was looking around. He didn't speak very good English. In their native language is Hungarian. It's my dad's native language. He said to my grandma in Hungarian, well, if, he, if Ernie's so good, why isn't he on the floor? And my grandma was shocked. And she said to him, look right there. That's Ernie. My grandfather couldn't recognize him because he had almost transformed before his eyes from this little kind of at-risk boy into a, more of a powerhouse. And so uh, basketball came out of nowhere. And that's why my book is called By the Grace of the Game. I mean, the game really for my family is heaven sent. And I'll tell you, a year after my grandparents seen my dad play basketball for the first time, he was an All-American. He was in high school and college. He was a phenomenon. He was one of the most highly recruited players in the country in high school. Uh, went to the University of Tennessee. He was a four-time first-team All-SEC player. Uh, him and Bernard King were one of the greatest duos in college basketball history. They averaged more than 25 points per game each one year, which, you know, is incredible, right? That Those type of things don't happen anymore. And uh, so he graduated from Tennessee as the school's all-time leading scorer. And here's a good tidbit for you, Ben. To this day, he's the fifth leading scorer in the history of the SEC. So his, oh, wow, his, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, like I've, because of the book, I've had so many people reach out to me from, you know, New York city where he played in high school from Tennessee, where he played in college. And they say, Dan, you think, you know, you have no idea. Someone said to me recently that your dad was doing things that we had never seen before. And I said to him, dad, what were you doing? I mean, it was a lot of mid range jumpers as far as I know from your game, you know, <laughs> but he was a, he, he was a phenomenon, man. It just, you know, sometimes I write this in the book, like sometimes things just click and Another cool thing is I've had so many people reach out to me and say, hey, we used to watch your dad play. There wasn't a loose ball he didn't dive on. There was never a possession he took off. There was never a play he didn't hustle for. And I tell him, read the book. Look what he went through. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a refugee from communism, son of Holocaust survivors, comes to New York City, finds basketball. You play hard, too, you know, because you're just you're searching for something. You know, you're searching for belonging. And, you know, with his brother passing away, a way to heal. So, listen, he was, I mean, he was very strong, very physical, great one-on-one -on -one player, mid-range, rebounding. People describe his game as punishing. <laughs> he was just like, you know, and I, I actually had someone send me an email about uh, his brother who played against my dad and it kind of stuck with him his whole life because he was like, he, the dominance was so like, it, it just was so like all-encompassing. He was just a, a physical force, man. And so, uh, yeah, he, he was a good NBA player, not a great NBA player. He was a role player at that level, but certainly high school, college phenomenon. Yeah, no, I, 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 absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I got to know him a little bit um, when he's here with Washington. And it's always struck to, stood out to me as a, from a personality perspective. You know, he always seemed to be just a very cool uh, customer. Uh, you know, obviously, when we're trying to get a good quote, sometimes I've been like, ah, you could be a little more... Uh, expressive but like in general <laughs> um but in general like you always seem to kind of like be able to sort of roll with, with with the punches and obviously i'm sure he burned to you know find the missing piece to get the team over the over the top or you know what the team lost you know it it, it, it hurt or what, what what it might be but when you see everybody has a journey to get to this point and obviously the, as you're describing in the book his his is very unique it's not it's not some like, you know, the, the, the sort of the standard uh, path that a lot of the players or, you know, or even most of us just kind of go through. And so from that perspective, to see all that he went through and that his family went through. Yeah. Why are you going to get overly worked up because uh, some rookie is taking a little bit extra time to figure out how to play the game or maybe you lost or whatever? Like there's life. It feels like I guess now that I'm looking at it back, life perspective for him is probably pretty unique 
uh, versus having to just like, oh, you know, blood, sweat and tear. I got to worry about this moment in this team or in, or in life. Yeah, I, I think there, there's some truth to that. And I think first and foremost, my dad is a competitor. So and he loves the game. And, and a lot of it is because of all the what the game has done for us. You know, he 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 doesn't speak about it publicly, but he's not unaware of of, of how basketball saved him in many ways. And so, uh, yeah, so he he does live and breathe it and certainly did when he was running teams. But I think outwardly he you know, and, and you you've read the story, you kind of know where he comes from. He He's no frills. He's no nonsense. He's the most straight up person you'll ever meet, you know, which I think people who know him, love him and appreciate him for that. Like you said, if you're trying to get a quote from him could be frustrating because like, you know, he's, he's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't play games. You know, he's just a very, very straight up, honest person with a lot of integrity who works so hard. And um, I'm very proud of all he's accomplished in, in general, but particularly given where he started, but more so than that, I'm proud of the way he's carried himself because uh, you know, it's, it's inspirational for a lot of people. And again, like I can't tell you the the people around the world who have reached out to me, who have been inspired by his journey and continue to be. Um, since I have you here, and this is a unique opportunity for me as somebody that's, you know, covered the team. Uh, let me, let me talk about the wizards with you for a second. So, and as I said, Ernie Grunfeld was before he was the GM, GM president here. He was uh, that had that job with the Knicks. He he's the one that brought Pat Riley, I believe to the Knicks, mm-hmm. which led to the, that team going to the finals. He was with the Milwaukee Bucks. He comes here. Um, I, I I often get tagged uh, as an Ernie Grunfeld defender when he was here um, because a lot of people just want to, you know, if your team's not winning at all times, at all levels, you know, the hell with everybody. And I was always point out, like, if you look at the history of this organization, going back to when they last won the, the title in the late 70s, there's really not a lot of upswings here but two of them were the gilbert arenas era and the more recent john wall bradley beal era the architect for both of those things was your father and sure there were ups and downs in between we can discuss jan vesely or uh the 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 the, the, the lean years that led to the lottery picks to get wall and get beal and so on but like people seem to ignore those other things he's the one that signed gilbert arenas to the deal he's traded for karan butler uh, and Antoine Jameson, you know, he didn't have to pick John Wall and Bradley Beal. He did. And that led to the good times here. Do you think that because at some point it just became because the fan base here is overly frustrated, which I get because it's been 40 years of relative mediocrity at best, that your, your father's time here is not properly um, uh, viewed? Well, the second, I think it's very hard to run an NBA basketball team, you know, especially to do it for as long as my dad has, right? 30 years as an NBA GM, it's almost unprecedented. And so, listen, p- fan bases are passionate. Like you said, you, you want your teams to win. Another thing is that people don't really have accurate information, right? Because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. There's so many inputs that go into decision making. And so from a fan's perspective, you want to see wins. You you think you have a concept of what should happen, but it's really hard to exactly know if you're not behind the scenes and you don't have all the context, you know? And so I think that's part of it. I think, you know, I don't think NBA general managers are meant to be with the same team for 20 years, unless you have like, you know, one of the best players of all time on your team where there's just an extraordinary amount of organizational stability because of the nature of sports fandom. Part of it is what makes sports so great is that people are so passionate, right? But at the same time, you know, when, uh, when decisions have to be made and, uh, with, with the data that people have on the inside, it, it's hard to 
to really always judge it that way. But listen, like you said, and I came up, you know, when, when I was in college, you know, I was playing at Stanford. My dad left the Bucks and came to the Washington Wizards. And he was with the Wizards until I had my son and I had retired from my own professional career, which was eight years long. Right. So, I mean, right. quite literally, like half of my life and coming of age happened when my dad is with the Wizards. Some of my best memories are from the teams that he built. Gilbert and Antoine and Karan and those runs were unbelievable. And then watching John and Bradley as young stars, you know, take the team, you know, to these playoff runs where they were, you know, a quarter away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Like those were some of the best times that I had over those years. And I'm sure basketball fans in DC, like you said, if you step back, like those were just incredible runs that I'm, that everyone enjoyed and will remember forever. So um, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm definitely proud of the work he's done. Not only you know as a player, as an executive, and probably most importantly, as a father, because he's a great father. Well, I mean, and ultimately, right. That is, I mean, again, I, I look, trust me, I can spend three hours debating why anybody gave Jan Mahimi a four-year contract, but the, the, uh, the, 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 the personal aspects are what matters the most. Your dad was always very cool uh, with me at a point when I was like a relative nobody. I mean, not that I'm anybody now, but a re- you know, relative nobody, on the beat and who always was, was kind like i said there were times where i was like yeah come on you can give us a little more detail about what's going on but i always appreciated um you know his his uh but it was also more of the off the record stuff the com- the conversations human to human i always very much enjoyed those and and g- getting a look at you know, getting a, a, a more insight into the, his journey here through your book i think is only gonna it's only made some of those memories uh even a, a little bit stronger so by the grace of the game uh, the Holocaust, a basketball legacy, an unprecedented American dream. By the way, the, the forward by Ray Allen was very interesting. I had no idea about his connection or why his interest in, um, but basically it's his interest in the human condition that I uh, guess led him right. to have, have insight into uh, the, the, the being intrigued by the Holocaust and how just such a tragedy could ever take place. So that was interesting. Uh, definitely, I, I definitely recommend uh, people go go read this. Um, and uh, anything else, Dan, to, to mention before I, I let you uh, get back to, to your world here? Not at all, man. I'm just grateful for the time. And one thing about Ray, uh, you know, I, I know Ray because my dad was the GM of the Bucks when Ray was a young, you know, up and coming NBA star. And Holocaust education and remembrance has become kind of his passion. And he, you know, for as great of a basketball player as he was, top 75 player in NBA history, he's a better person. He really is. I mean, he stands up for what's right. He cares about the human condition. And so, for him to write the forward for my book, you know, him, I mean, Ray was at our house in Milwaukee. He had spent countless hours with my dad, but he didn't know my dad's background because it's not something my dad talked about publicly. So Ray didn't know that my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And so he lent his support to this book and it's just, he, he's really, he's really unbelievable. And so I'm glad you mentioned that forward because I'm so grateful to that. And, you know, I'm grateful uh, for, for you, you know, just chatting with me today and sharing this story. It, it means a lot. A- absolutely. At Dan underscore Grunfeld on Twitter. You can buy the book, Amazon, I presume. Uh, and everywhere else. books are sold, man. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, like I said, I definitely a, a, a good read. You don't have to be a fan of the Washington uh, Wizards. But again, if you're, you know, it's, it's a human story. And and I think ultimately that, that that's something um to consider uh dan greatly appreciate it congrats on the book best of luck with everything and say hello to your dad i'll do that ben thanks so much all right many thanks to kevin sheehan uh tim murray dan grunfeld for their time i hope everybody will will go check out dan's book um you know i i i 
I've I've enjoyed what I've read so far. Uh, the Ernie Grunfeld component, I know everybody focuses on the Wizards as the GM, and there's I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there, I understand the reason why people get frustrated, but at the same point, I always point out two of the best eras that have happened in this franchise history it, since they won the title: the Gilbert Arenas, the John Wall Bradley Beal era. Ernie Grunfeld was the architect of those, so he's got to get credit from there. But more importantly, there's a life here as well, and it really is an intriguing story. It certainly is to me, and I hope that people will go check it out. Um, And as far as this football team goes, (laughs) look, I mean, you know, as I I said to Kevin, if you're on a roll, there's no better place to be than in Las Vegas, and they're going to be there this week with a chance to make it four in a row, further uh, position themselves for a playoff berth. Uh, but we'll see. The Raiders have got their own thing going on. They came off a big win against Dallas. Um, I'm not saying this is the toughest game on the schedule yet, but this one to me will probably say a lot because of uh, the Raiders are a legitimate team with a real quarterback in Derek Carr, who's who's been pretty good this year. They've obviously had their uh, their own share of turmoil um, with everything that's going on over there. Uh, John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, and so on. But they've got players, and if Washington can get past them. I don't even, I, you know, I won't say sky's the limit, but at the same point, who knows? The Raiders are a legit team. Um, but you lose, then obviously the five playoff games, starting with Dallas, who is still a good team, even though they're, they've been slumping a bit lately. Um, so we'll see. Huge game coming up. Every game is going to be a huge one at this point. I just think this Raiders one in particular is interesting. That said, also interesting is this podcast. Hopefully you guys think so. And hopefully you think the athletic as well. There's a bunch of articles up on the website today, myself and my colleagues. Uh, after that game last night, more to come this week as well. So stay stay tuned here. F- download the podcast, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or on the Athletic app, all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, we'll see. What a world. The Washington football team, dominant. <laughs> Who would have thought? All right, that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.